All right. It's not actually a tape, but I'm an old guy. (laughs) I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians is really about the body of the Messiah, the Israel and the extension into the nations. And uh, this passage, uh, I didn't put it in the bulletin, but it really is an important uh, benchmark for us in the context of what I want to say today. In chapter 4, we are told, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord implore you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all, But to each of us is given grace uh, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now when you move down to verse 11, he talks about that. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. He gave them for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry or service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of a knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth that's talking about the scriptures in love, We grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now that's what we're here about. We as the Disciple Center are here for the purpose of maturing as individuals so that the part we play in the body will function properly for us to communally grow to our place in the body of Christ and for the body of Christ to grow into full maturity so that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one doctrine which is the truth and all the parts are functioning perfectly well. I'm going to suggest that we're not there yet. I know that's hard to believe. We've been operating for almost a decade and a half, and you would think by now we'd have our act together, right? The truth is, we're never going to have our act together, but we are to grow in grace and in knowledge, and we are to strive towards that. That striving has stages in it. That striving has continuity in it, and that striving has, to some extent, a, uh, a, a process whereby some of us will be removed. Uh, simply, at some point, some of us will die and others will be born, and, and so this is a never-ending process. 
But when the Disciple Center was formed, we focused on the establishment of a relational community of faith that was private, safe, discipleship-focused, and intended to remediate many of us whose religious instruction was uneven or lacking. And we've been successful, I believe, beyond what might have been expected, though we still have much uh, to do. We're at the point in the experience of the Disciple Center when we have to focus on the children. (laughs) We have many children compared to many other congregations. When I tell people how many children we have for the number of families we have, uh, they're always amazed. So this period will be a significant one for the next probably 10 or 12 years when we must prioritize the home and make the emphasis of the congregation the instruction of the children so that they aren't in the shape we were when we started this. And some of you were there and you remember. We're all saying, well, we're not quite sure what the faith looks like in in this kind of way and we need to do that. And people began to get married and have children. We began to struggle with spiritual disciplines and liturgy and all that stuff. And um, we were trying in some sense to get ourselves together. We're still trying to get ourselves together. But we also realized that we wanted the next generation to have a head start over what we had, so that they would be able to go uh, even beyond where we uh, have gone. So we've begun adjusting the holy days to make them more reinforcing and a biblical truth for the children. Uh, I have been just thrilled with how much the children already know. When we go through those holy days, we're going to have to ratchet it up a little because they know the stories. We've begun the memorization of Scripture both in our homes and in our services so that we can bring the children to maturity. This is both exciting and, uh, and difficult. Uh, I don't know about you. At this point, I have to say something about the message. Um, have you ever planned, ladies, you planned a meal and you knew what you wanted, you, everything was going to be there, and when you got to the refrigerator, the, the main item Uh, had been damaged or spoiled, and so now you had to take all of the other stuff and make the best meal you could in that context. I'm kind of doing that with this sermon. My uh, computer system completely crashed on me yesterday. Uh, Not the data, the programs, which made it difficult to address. Uh, Fortunately, I prepared things ahead of time. I'm just polishing it up, but accessing that was difficult, and some of What I had to do had to come from this series, looking forward from the spiritual discipline series, from various series that I could access data uh, using another computer. And so there is a little bit of a uh, potluck going on in the the message today, or as I call them, tough lucks. You get what I've got, right? Uh, So I'm struggling with the message because it is in part a a remnant a previous series from Hebrews where we were looking forward, talking about endurance towards the day. Um, Instructing our children is part of that. In addition, the passage that we're going to look at predominantly, the Hebrew passage, is from this week's uh, passages. So it's part of the Parsha and Passages uh, series. Um, Also, it's related to what we're doing with the memorizing of Scripture so it could fit into the spiritual discipline series. Um, uh, 
but I've called it spiritual growth, remediation, and progress. So uh, the problem that I see is that we have a need. It's not a new need. It's one that is a common problem in religious communities. It's existed in the past. It will exist in the future. But we tend to become numb to problems that are ongoing uh, and which bring about problems later rather than now. Uh, The problem is that we're not in the ideal condition to really focus on the children. It would be nice if we had reached a point where all of our families are in good, mature process and now it's just a matter of teaching it to the children and dealing with some of the problems of life. The process that we should do is that those who are mature and have been in the faith a long time and know it well and fully, the parents, uh, are able to just instruct their children and the congregation would be a community of faith that reinforces that. Deuteronomy 6-7 says that we are to diligently teach these things to our children. And it's not talking about clergy to parishioners, it's really talking about parent to child. But there is a problem, and that problem is found in the Hebrews passage that we have today, Hebrews chapter 5. So I'd like you to turn there. Uh, This is not a problem that is a disciple center problem as much as it's a problem of humanity. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, says this. Uh, The writer is trying to explain something. In this context, it's about the high priest and the the order of Melchizedek. Uh, But he says this, concerning, concerning him, well, verse 12, he talks about him. So in verse 12, he says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again that someone teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, and not solid food. For everyone who partakes uh, only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, there's a general problem in the American church. The American church is uh, probably the most focused on learning of any of the uh, world's congregations. Americans have Sunday school, they have small groups, study groups, they have teachings, they have tapes, they have books, they have DVDs. We've got it all. And we are, we are just focused on the idea of learning. And we become a little bit like Mars Hill after a while, where the issue is, if you say something that's already been said, we go, I've heard that, what's new? And so then you begin to focus on what's new, because it tickles the ears. In the American church, rather than focusing on doing, and that's what this says, that the real knowledge of the scriptures is not found in knowing them, It's in doing them. It's it's not important enough to know how to be a husband and a wife if you don't do it. 
It's not good enough to know how to be a Christian if you don't do it. The doers of the word are justified, not the hearers. But in the doing, and we all know this, when you start a skill, it's terrible. If you've ever played an instrument, it's bad for you, it's bad for others, right? It's just awful. And after a while, you begin to have some ability And then you develop a greater ability. And then you develop a greater ability. And there is a period where you get really comfortable with what you can do. And you don't want to learn anything new. I want to hear something new, but I don't want to learn anything new. Right? That kind of approach. We're at a a situation where we need to focus on bringing these children to maturity in Christ in the next 10 to 12 years because that's all we have with them. Some of them we don't even have that. And they will be going into a world that is not Christian friendly. And so we have to do that. Our problem is that we still have individual discipleship issues for ourselves. We have marriages that are struggling to stay biblical and intact. We have temptations of the flesh related to sex and alcohol and anger and depression and all those kinds of things. We have the temptations of the world where the world's got us busy and there's activities for the children and there's stuff to do and there's economic issues and just the reality of suburban life. We have to face that freeway and it steals time away from us. And we have temptations from the evil one who will deceive us into trying to find an easy way, a shortcut to doing God's word, or to sow discord among the brethren so that we get into spats with each other. So how do we remediate ourselves and keep ourselves in balance, uh, those who should be teachers, without losing the precious time for instructing the children? Well, the scripture gives us a little bit of an idea for that. And I believe it's part of what we need to do as the Disciple Center. I think we need, we've been talking about it. We need to talk about it more clearly. Uh, it's found in the next passage, Hebrews 6, verses 1 to 3. The writer says, Therefore, because we're in this situation, leaving the elementary teachings about the Messiah, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of a repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands, about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And he says, and this we will do if God permits. So what he's, what he's suggesting is that there is a point where we have to say we can't do the elementary things anymore We have to assume that they're there and we have to start working on some advanced things. And that's when some of the people who haven't learned the elementary things will go, wait a minute, you begin to panic. You're drawing me into an area I'm not prepared for. Well, you should have been prepared for, well, I didn't think it was coming this quick, right? So you get those kinds of issues. But there's a reason why uh, we are told uh, to do this. Because there will be people who will heed the call to move forward, and people who will not heed it. So I want to give you some passages to show that this is a biblical pattern. 
Ezekiel chapter 3. I'm always surprised how big Ezekiel is. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16 uh, and following says this. He's talking about uh, making him a watchman. He says, at the end of seven years, uh, seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die. And you do not warn him or speak out uh, to warn the wicked of his wicked way that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Because you didn't warn him. He's still responsible. He's still guilty. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned that righteous man, that righteous man uh, should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you have delivered yourself. So, what he is, well, he goes on and says, uh, The hand of the Lord was, uh, was on me, and he said, Get up, go out to a plain, and there I will speak to you. So I got up and went out to the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord was standing there, like the glory which I saw at the river Kibar, and I fell on my face. And the Spirit entered me and made me stand on my feet, and he spoke to me and said, Go shut yourself up in your house. As for you, son of man, they will put ropes on you, they will bind uh, you with them, so that you cannot go out among them. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth, so that you will be mute and cannot be a man who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. When I speak to you, I will open your mouth, and you will say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Now what Ezekiel is saying is, People respond to the word of God in one of two ways. Those who hear, hear. And those who refuse, don't hear. And that becomes a theme that we even find in the Gospels. Turn to Dan chapter 12. Daniel <laughs> chapter 12. I know him pretty well, so he lets me call him Dan. <laughs> Daniel 12, verse 9. He says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are concealed and sealed up until the time of the end. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. The wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. From the time of the regular sacrifice is abolished to the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 uh, days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. You will enter into rest and rise again at your allotted portion at the end of the year. 
Now, what he's basically saying is that uh, those who are wicked won't get it. And those who get it will get it, right? That same kind of idea. So now, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 10. This is John speaking. Daniel was told to seal up the thing because it's for the end of time. John is told the opposite because we're, a, we're, we're entered into the end of time. He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. And the one who is filthy, let him stay filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy, still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. Now, what we're being told here is that uh, we're supposed to stay on course. There is a point where you quit trying to convince people of the way. Because those who get it need to move on and those who don't get it aren't going to get it. So at some point we have to say to ourselves, those of us who have struggled with these elementary things will continue to struggle with the elementary things because we get their importance. We'll figure that out. But the ones who just have said, ah, that's nice, but I'll wait till later... Uh, We can't wait for them, particularly because we have a generation growing up that's going to need that information. If we spend our time remediating people who are stubborn and refusing, uh, the children will be lost, okay? Uh, God help us if that becomes the case. So we're going to stay on course and we're going to ratchet up our discipleship in the direction of greater maturity for us and the elementary things being geared mostly for the children. Holy days are geared for the children. If you've done, if you've done Advent most of your life, you pretty much know Advent. So we don't have to do it for you. You want to do it for yourself at your home the way you want to do it? That's great. But what we have to do is we have to make sure that the focus of what we're doing is the children. Because we won't have them that long. So... We are told then in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 to 8 why this is critical. And it matches the passages that we just read. For in the case of those who have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. I mean, they've been exposed to the truth. If they have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled and it receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being burned and it ends up being burned. Now, what is he saying? Again, he's saying those who the scriptures have begun to draw them towards maturity and growing in grace and in knowledge, 
the word is working and it's time to move forward and those who it's just bringing up strife. They're in the same place they were. They keep fighting the same battles because they're not really fighting the battles. They just want to use that as an excuse. That's the parable of the sower and the seed. The soil is either going to produce or it's going to produce other things that choke the word and stop the maturity. So, our goal then is to move forward uh, as the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 9 to 12 tells us. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and the things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and your love which you have shown towards his name, having ministered and still ministering to the saints, that community of faith stuff. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, The goal here is to stay on track and move forward. I've learned something in every discipline of my life. If I try to go beyond where I'm capable, too far, I become frustrated and quit. But if I take the next step, just take the next step, not comparing myself to others, but I take the next step, I usually will will get there. I also know that I'm much more comfortable doing things I know than things that I'm learning. That's it. Let's just go back and do this again. We can perfect that. You have to to keep that balance going. What we need to do is move forward towards the calling that we are called. And so we have to address three areas. And I'm going to try to talk about those over the next uh, several messages. First of all, how do we, we redeem the time and provide materials and resources that we need to enhance the faith of our own lives and our households, meaning our marriages and our children. What do we already have? What do we need? And what do we no longer need? Now, if you're like my family, you have storage somewhere. Or you have storage everywhere. A lot of our storage probably doesn't need to be kept. There are things we need to say, we've done that, bought the t-shirt, and now we can move on, right? And we may need to get rid of the t-shirt. There are things that we have and we say, hey, I didn't know I had that, I can make use of that. And there are things that we say, I can't get to the next step without having this. We as a congregation need to think about that and assess what we no longer need to do or have and what we have that we need and what we don't have that we need so we can move in that direction. Secondly, how do we maintain and reinforce our relational community for our mutual benefit? What are our strengths? What can we do to reinforce our belonging to one another and where are we vulnerable? We worked very hard, the messages and the practices. Uh, I remember early days when we all went to lunch, to one group. Pretty soon we were taking over food courts and then it wasn't working. You know, there, The issue was that we were, we were very much 
uh, a part of each other. Now we've had life kick us around. We are spread over two counties. We're dealing with kids. We're dealing with family problems. We're dealing with financial problems. How do we maintain a sense that we are all on the same page with each other and keep that relationship going? Now, it's happening. And it's happening in this congregation, I think, at a pace better. But that is something we could lose if we're not careful. We need to be be aware of that and work on ways to do that. I love to hear that people are in each other's homes for Shabbat. I think that's part of it. Uh, I, I love to know that when somebody has a problem, they've been contacted by several people in the congregate. That's really good. So we know how to do that, but what we have to do is make sure we don't, we don't lose that um, in, in this context. The third thing is how do we connect and relate to the broader Jewish and Christian communities? What does that connection look like, and how can it be maintained? We have to see ourselves as part of a bigger movement as part of the whole body of the Messiah, as connected to Israel. We have to figure out how that looks. We can say it, but we have to figure out how to do it. And what does that look like? And how do we do it with an economy of time, an economy of resources, and all those kinds of things? So, I think the process of figuring out the next stage for us Uh, is going to take some time, it's going to take resources, and it's going to take energy, and it's going to take a toll on us. There are some among us who may simply not be able or willing to move forward. We've had that before. We've had people who have been a significant part of this congregation, and they just get caught up into other things. And so they find a congregation where you just have to show up once in a while, and that's all that matters. That may happen again. I I don't know. Um, But we can't be stopped because of people who won't move forward. We should not endeavor to kick anybody out. I'm not talking about that. Every time this comes up, somebody goes, who are you after? But we have to be careful that we're not held back by the unwilling. Um, And the struggle will be How do we set a bar that says, here are the next steps and allow people the freedom to say, I'm taking this one, and someone else to say, I'm taking this one, without it becoming a comparison and I'm more spiritual than you. Because the truth is, in every one of our households is a very different situation. And, And what you can do depends totally on your situation, because we're not in control. We're, we're just not in control. We sometimes have the illusion of control, and that illusion is easily, is easily removed. Um, and we don't know how much time we have. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the future. We know who holds the future, and we know that he's given us a text to help us be prepared for the future, and that's why I want us to to move forward in that context. So, we also have to uh, transition our leadership. In the past, uh, I have been the central teacher, I've been the central guide, I've been the one who answers the questions, I'm the one who does this and that and the other thing. And... uh, 
uh, that that is both what I love to do, so I'd be happy to just stay doing that. Uh, but I know that I have to stretch too. I also know that at some point, my body or my mind or my breath will go. And if I don't start getting some of what's in me that's beyond the basics in a written or other form, it won't be here for anybody to learn. Now, will have to be learned all over by someone else. So I've got to figure out how in this body I am to function where I can still be helpful in, in the elementary things, but be moving towards this next step myself. Our size and my place in life demands that we begin a transition more to the plurality of elders and ministers, which we put, put in place and in some sense got stalled in the last couple of years um, and could easily be stalled again now. And I, I think we have to push beyond that. So I'm, I'm hoping that we will begin the process of expand. I don't know where the Disciple Center is going to end up. I don't know if we're going to end up like some families that their kids go out and start new households and there may be Disciple Centers uh, in multiple places. I don't know if we will uh, uh, implode. I don't know if this is a season that gets people prepared and then they go elsewhere. I don't, I don't know that. But some of those children that will be coming in here and, and dancing may be here in 25 years as the leadership of the Disciple Center. We've got to start getting them prepared and on the road to maturity for that. Some of them will be affecting other congregations and we want them to affect them for the good. And so they have to understand other, they may end up in another denomination. They need to understand how that works and how to bring that into this kind of context. Uh, some of you may be in other places. We, I think we have to see ourselves as in a new time of life. The Disciple Center is firmly established. Its roots are strong. Its trunk is in place and its branches are there. We now must begin to bear fruit that demonstrates a level of maturity. And that is going to be both a little bit unnerving and something that we have to monitor as we do it because we want to make sure that it, we produce good fruit in that, in that context. So over the next several weeks... I'm going to talk about these three things. I'm going to try to be really practical. I'm hoping in the Q&A that you will talk about these things. I'm hoping that people who aren't with us will be listening to the messages so that we can begin that dialogue uh, and you should do that among yourselves. And it's also going to be important because there's a lot that goes on in the Disciple Center that I don't know anything about. And that some of the other elders don't know anything about. And it might be good for us to know. I don't mean tattling on each other. I'm not talking about the bad things. I'm talking about the good things. Okay? Uh, every once in a while, I hear from someone else who's in another congregation where I have connections, and one of you or more of you have had a positive effect on them, and they, they bring me that good report. That's exciting. 
Uh, it's the same thing that happens when some parent tells you what a wonderful kid you have. And you go, I don't know if I believe it, but great, I like to hear that, right? This parenting, pastoring, discipling is all the same process. And there is a time when your parents uh, had to back off and let you be adults. And that's scary for them and scary for you. But it's part of what we have to do in this transition period. Uh, and particularly focusing on the children uh, because my generation is is third generation now. First generation are you guys and the third generation are your children. And we need to we need to be sure that they are firmly rooted and grounded in this faith and on the road to maturity. Wow, I did that pretty quick. Uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll do some Q&A.